0: Welcome to the Open Book Podcast. What you're about to hear is a live recording of an event that took place at the Open Book Festival in September 2022.
1: In
2: this discussion called Sifting Through the Past, C.A. Davids, Khadija Heger, and Bronwyn Norville-Yoon
0: speak to Yawande Omotosho about history and identity. Here's their
3: conversation. Welcome, everybody. This is so warming to just see all of you, really. We were just sharing a word and saying how amazing this festival is, and part of that amazingness, amazement, whatever, is just the participation, the spirit, the energy, the love, if I may use the word. So thank you so much for being here and joining us. A couple of very quick things. I'll take the... Since I'm chairing, which means I'm boss, I do want to take a moment to, in their absence, I don't think they're here, just thank uh, Frankie and Mervyn and all the organizers, particularly for me. I've come here with my two-year-old twins, and they've been so gracious. There was another writer who also has his, I don't know, I think the child is seven months, and I just thought festivals that acknowledge families, that Mm. that do what they can to help families. My kids were stashed away somewhere to nap, (laughs) and... So, uh, you know, they're not here, but I, I just feel really, yeah, I think that's pretty awesome because that sure. doesn't happen all the time. So, on to why we're here. I mean, welcome. After we're done, by the way, you will have the chance of a lifetime to have your book signed by these esteemed authors. Don't miss it. So, you know, don't disappear when we're done. We're, they'll go downstairs and be seated and you get to have your book signed. Um, and please, please buy them, or if you've bought them already, I hope you brought your copies along. Um, we're going to do a nice, it's a Sunday, so we're going to do a, a sort of generous introduction. Generous in the sense that I will do a bit of a bio, and then I've invited the authors to read a little bit each time each time they're introduced. So I'm going to jump straight into that. At the end of this whole thing, there'll be some time at the end for your questions, so as they gather in your mind, collect them and keep them that time, 15-20 minutes at the end. And we have a roving, roving mic, so, you know, mm. don't, don't strain your voice. The reason, by the way, they're recording it, so, you know, put your decent face on, no, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Decency is, I hope you left it at the door. Um, I want to, yeah, it's such an honor, it's such an honor to just be the person connecting with the three of you, so thank you. I want to start by welcoming Khadija Higa.
0: Thank you.
3: Um, Welcome here today. Just a few words about Khadija if you don't know. Um, Khadija is a published poet, an actress, facilitator, cultural activist um, who hails from the Cape Flats. Um, Her debut poetry collection, Beyond the Delivery Room, is also, I hope, there are copies downstairs. There should be. No? You don't think so? Okay. I don't know. Pity. (laughs) Um, okay, the book we're chatting about today, though, is definitely there, Thicker Than Sorrow, publisher Mojaji Books. Shout out Colleen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the world of acting, because you might recognize her, Khadija has performed in Aaron's play, Alice Malan, Achrond, Sierra Land, Recipes for Love and Murder is a, is a recent favorite, and Christmas van Marp Jacobs. For her leading role in Down So Long, she was nominated for the Best Actress award. Um, really, really welcome, congratulations on your, your second collection, and I'd love to invite you to read. Oh, that was quick. <laughs>
1: <Sure>. <laughs> I thought okay. I was
0: going to lean into that a little bit slower. Okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm just going to look for the poem that I want to read, okay. which is a poem I also performed last night. So. hmm. It's not in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. oh so really? Did you mean to get
1: it for you? No, no, no. Oh, okay. what?
2: We can chat amongst ourselves. Chat
3: amongst <laughs> yourselves. <laughs> Does it look like it's about to fall? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Wow, okay. thank you.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't realize the poem isn't in this collection. Not yet. Uh, okay, here we go. Since we are dealing with identity today, um, this is what I'm going to do. We look every day dag op forgotten name, to ring by name. names. <sighs> Who can be a doctor where the story Ek ken my maa, se maa, se maa nie, ook my paa, se baa, se paa nie. Die storie is stom geslaan en stram uit gefriet in alatigheid. Ek het my maa, se oe, sê hylle. Sy lyk so so en so se kind, nie, sê die antis. Maar praat is beskerm in die skaamtes. Die ou mense kan nie helpie. Hulle glo nog in ou baas se pijn. Maar het spook vir die huismamie. Die doelie sit in skadies van kopies en pierings met lippe wat skinner in jaren. jare. Hoe oorle oomse hande, haar bene met blauwkolle oopgeflekked vir in dringende valles. Sy lus onafhankelijk van haar geheil. Oos praatie, soot baatie. Gyn wonne die spoke kom raas nog een besoedel die plek waar die leens val. Gyn die maagd die ongesproken woorde met wijn. Met wijn, ja, ek is nog met wijn. Die self sit ons daar waar het pijn. Amper vry. Amper vry maar niet. Waala. Voilà. Amper vry maar nog die spog die kinders van gesienig geschiedenis. Ook mos nou gerekk naas die oubaase kinders. Gewilde ethnicities, spog. Alles is mooi toegepas op die skaal van een bloedlijn. Maar wat van die ander dele van family, mamie? Die dele sonne grafstiene en family reminders en memories. Verjaars daar so'n verplichtings, doepsalms wat eilen in die wingerde, en hier langs die ou blau berg wat kaap staat om singel. Wat daarvan, mamie? Ay, die kaal wind sing droevig, en die ouwonde prakkel en prit en die kwansuise storms van identiteit. <laughs> en soms plaar het my min, want ek is nog met wijn. Die zelf sit ons daar, waar het nog dan zo so pijn. zo so dronk, zo een kleerling. Bewerings van oud, wat klop op die tong van die nieuwe Suid-Afrika. Mensen lyks nog tyd te gebruik, kleerling. Asof kafirse bewering net een woord buit. Hm? Belediging jammer. Asof kafirse belediging net een woord buit. Nog minder vir die seer van dikken. Marie bly al strykel oor ou Baas se sin mami. Ons woeker op die Facebookies, Instagrams en die Twitters soos wat se so met baie te sê en skryf ywerig van rights en die en wat nog. Maar onder die drang bly die vraag nog staan. Is ons deel van die plek? Belong ons? Belong us, mummy. Belong us. Da is seer for me en star. Is he waar die kalle verwijden word. Da is iets en a hart wat skort. Belong us as wat pijn tussen die die guns en die kennis wat koen. Us gryp dring en dan die bottels wyn. Van Mammy, he lady seer wat for verdwyn.
3: Thank you. Um, I kid you not, I seem to have deleted my notes. between the fear of falling and the poem I've I've prepared really carefully but so that's the kind of session we're going to have Bronwyn Norfilyun whom I know is a professor (laughs) at Vitz University and head of the creative writing department, you are one of two sort of founders of this amazing what's the name of the um, your your publishing company, fourth wall books Books, Yeah, (coughs) doing really doing a lot of photography and architecture, urbanism-related materials. Um, This is your second novel. Your first novel, The Printmaker, amongst other things, was uh, won the um, Olive Schreiner Prize. Congratulations. And has been translated into a few languages, several, a a couple of languages. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is your second novel, Uh, Notes on Falling, Um, I'm just thinking of what else I've missed, but I think I think that covers you. (laughs) Yeah. Please, please read.
1: Please, please excuse me, everybody. Like, wow, what a life. I give you ten out of ten. (laughs) Um, That's a very hard act to follow. Mm. So this novel is rooted in an archive which I worked in in New York, a dance archive. Um, But it's also deeply invested in uh, my experience of photography. Two of the characters, two of the three main characters are photographers, one a photographer in New York in the 1970s and the other a young woman from South Africa who goes to New York in the 1990s. Um, So I'm gonna read three short sections which I think sort of reach towards something of what this novel is about. At the reception desk, Talia waited for Dean to come out. There was no one else in the room. On the wall in front of her was a large black and white print, a photograph of a dancer. He was barefoot and wearing wide-legged three-quarter length trousers, His torso was naked, and he leaned forward, his head thrust out so that he made direct eye contact with the camera. He carried his weight on his bent left leg, almost all of it on the ball of the foot, and the right was extended to the side and pointed. His arms were up and back in a winged formation, the thumb and middle fingers touching. He was both flying and falling his center of gravity shifting forward so that, had it not been for the outstretched arms and the anchoring left leg, he would have overbalanced. The muscles in his shoulders and upper arms were like smooth pebbles under the dark skin, and his collarbones made deep declivities that ran around the back of his poised head. It was a superb portrait of momentary stasis and unexploded energy. There was something in the grainy quality of the print, in the space where the image had been shot, in the unflinching gaze and dramatically held energy of the dancer, that was uncannily familiar, and that raised in Talia a tiny stab of anxiety of the kind that she had not felt in a long time. The second section is from a scene uh, in New York, Talia, the same character, is having a conversation with her roommate, James. How do you think history works here? I mean, how does it work visually in cinema? He looked at her short-sightedly. He always seemed to be having these conversations with himself or with anyone who would sit down long enough for for him to ask a question like this. Well, how does it work anywhere when historical stuff gets made into films, she said. Well, no, I, I don't think it's the same everywhere. Americans do it differently to anybody else. What about South Africa? We can't make films about our history yet, our new one, I mean. It, it happened yesterday. What about photographs? Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you for weeks. The problem is when you're in a moment like we were in South Africa two years ago, Sorry, this is about 1996 when this conversation is happening. When you think to yourself, oh my God, this is it. This life-altering stuff that's happening. I've tried to imagine what that must have been like. James patted his pockets. Don't smoke in here, grief woman. Talia leaned back against the couch, trying to frame her next thought. It's not a single event like the assassination of Kennedy, say, but a whole series, one after the other, that are being made into history and you're inside of it and you have to make sense of it, visually, I mean. You're not writing journalism like my dad. So you don't need immediate facts, but you need to be able to see what's happening. And if you can see, if you have any idea what's going on, how do you point your camera away from the event but still say something interesting, not abstract or just beautiful? She was slightly breathless. Kennedy's assassination wasn't a single event, James said after a while. It was also a series of things. Yes, but the pure event of it, the absolutely pure instant of that shooting, it's so strong. It stands out as a single moment separate from all the others. We also had assassinations right up to the elections, but they weren't visible in the same way. Talia looked at the clock in in the kitchen and saw that she would be late if she didn't leave soon. I suppose what I'm trying to say is how do I resist looking for an event to hang things on, a single drama? We've had a lot of those in South Africa and they're important and make for fantastic images, but I'm not so interested interested in those as pictures. You don't want a singular image. Yes, exactly, I don't want iconography, which is why New York, is such a dangerous place for a photographer. And then this is 1973 or so in New York. When Robert got to the Super 8, he saw that it was running and he looked across at Sylvia who gave him a little smile and a thumbs up. Steve and Nancy were using every part of their bodies, hands and arms, feet, torsos, heads. When he focused on their hands, Robert could see that they hung loosely. There was nothing like the poise of ballet where the the aim seemed to be to have the hands form a sculptural element at the end of the arms. Their hands, when they weren't in contact with each other, simply extended the length of the arms. He watched Steve's right hand for a while, trying to look at it separately from the rest of him. The wrist was loose, The fingers were flung about in movement except when Nancy came towards him. Then he looked for her with his hands. They reached across her body and caught the weight of her legs or arms as she fell against him. Each part of their bodies leaned into the moment of contact. But there was no structure and it seemed oddly uncomfortable despite their obvious calm and lack of fear. Watching was like anticipating his own fall. So Robert found himself braced on edge, though he knew that he could trust them. They separated and walked away from each other, turning at the edge of the mat and coming back together, Steve facing Nancy, who suddenly launched herself forwards in a dive towards his midriff. He stepped aside so that she went past him, but his arms were ready and she fell onto them. The way he had caught her made her seem light, like a pillow, instead of a flying human form, and he bounced her across his lifted thigh and then off to his side. She collapsed forward, pulling him down across her back to the floor. They stood quickly and walked away from each other, and then as they turned, Steve ran to Nancy and took off about three feet from her. It was a shock to see his large frame flying at her, but she absorbed him, somehow holding his fall so that he did not, as Robert expected, hit the mat but sank with her into the floor and then stood in one fluid motion, Nancy rising with him. As they came upright, they reached equilibrium because of the angle at which they were leaning into each other, and for a moment, they were completely still before they toppled again. On the mat, they were so close physically that Robert was self-conscious. He could hear them breathing. They rocked across each other, but each time he wanted to look away from their joined torsos, they shifted into another movement, pulling each other back and forth, into and out of positions that promised something, but then headed in a different direction. I'll stop there. Thank you. you. you.
3: And to complete the trio, and I found your little intro for you. <laughs> so C.A. Davids works as a writer and as an art worker. Her second novel, How to Be a Revolutionary, which we're talking about today and we're going to read from shortly, was released earlier this year. Um, her debut novel, The Blacks of Cape Town, was published in 2013. Um, also Mojaji. C.A. has a master's degree in creative writing, a degree in economics and a postgraduate qualification in marketing from the University of Cape Town. She lives in Cape Town, um, but, and it's interesting when we talk about this novel, you've also called Shanghai China home, New Jersey in the USA, and Basel in Switzerland. And we'll talk a bit about place when we get into the questions, but could you please read?
2: Yes. Can I also just say I'm feeling really nervous, so thank you for (laughs) deleting everything, so no pressure, and there's so many fantastic writers and friends and even a high school mate here, so I'm feeling really nervous now. (laughs) Um, I was going to just read from the front of the novel, as I normally do, the first page or so, but um, I think even Khadija's, I'm going to read a little bit from my part of Cape Town as well, so I'm going to do both, Um, yeah. Uh, So it's How To Be A Revolutionary, and the opening chapter is Shanghai. The repetitive beat of typewriter keys always amplified at around 1 a.m., because this was the time when life on the street below stalled. Shanghai never became truly quiet. Only in the slip of time between midnight and 4 a.m. did the traffic recede and the noise temporarily wane. All day long, the din of construction filled the air As cranes and gantries, as common to the sky as birds and planes to other cities, crisscrossed the grey. Bamboo scaffolding woven intricately as fine cotton gave shape to the vertical city, while beneath, shift workers arrived all day long, the hum and thrust of metal always in the distance. In those months, when I was new to the city and its unfathomable sounds, I knew this was the time, if any, that I would hear him typing. The procession of taps and clicks was followed by a quick ring, a slow zip, familiar sounds that had echoed throughout my childhood when my mother brought home extra work. It kept time to my weakening eyelids until, as always, I lost the battle. There was no music now in the beat that seeped through the skin of cement, and I knew my neighbor from above used only one finger. I said he was a man. She'd seen him smoking on the balcony one morning. At least I think she said this. She didn't speak a word of English, and I'd learned only the most perfunctory Mandarin. Hello, goodbye, thank you, excuse me, how much for that? No, that, and so on. A combination of signs, gestures, and incomprehensible words stitched together my and I's communication about the work she had to do when she came to clean. We never said much more, and I only gleaned a bit of information about my neighbor when something crashed one morning in the apartment above, surprising surprising us both. I responded in a stream of furious indignation, gesturing my neighbor's chain smoking and, I guessed, his goatee. Anyway, I was certain he was a man from the way his pee hit the bowl in a steady hot stream at 4 a.m. The typing kept me awake, but also strangely comforted. It made up in some small way for the empty space beside me. And then, inspired by Khadija's piece, I'm going to read just a little bit on Cape Town. And I don't look at you because you make me nervous, so... <laughs> Um, Cape Town 1989, from above the city was a watercolour painted in azure oceans, golden sands, dark emerald forests. Tourists were resolute in telling Beth that Cape Town was the most beautiful city in all the world with its curious arrangement of feinbos flora, its scraggy, strange beauty over peaks and plains, the flat mountain, two oceans, its forests, wine farms, charming Victorian buildings, so, so pretty. What no one said was that over there, no, over there, where the eye never falls naturally, further still, it was nothing but a charcoal sketch, a smudge of humanity. The dick-shaped map of the peninsula was indecent, but no local needed a map. It was the city that had shaped their bones, its seawater that ran in their miscegenated veins. The same tourists, aunties and uncles actually, had long ago joined the round to Melbourne or London or Toronto. Leaving apartheid and its low-level war behind them, they only ever returned with new accents for biannual pilgrimage, pilgrimages to remind themselves why they'd left and to gorge on samosas. No one makes them like this. All we see are minceless pastry hats, bags of chips. We miss it even more than family biscuits. Just not the same back there. The tourists would re- rearrange your living space while subtly demanding outings to all the beauteous far-flung spots. Only remembering when they reached the destination that they still weren't welcome, still weren't allowed, because they, like you, were still the same shade of inferior. And when they returned to your unspeakable neighborhood, li- hidden like an arsehole, they'd chill their eyes in renewed shame. I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Thank you for indulging us, all three of you. I don't know, I don't know about you all, but I, there's almost nothing as wonderful as being read to. Oh, and then also being read to yeah, by the authors yeah. of the books is extra. Um, so there's a line, I was trying to find it, uh, Khadija, I, I couldn't. It's a similarity, but it's definitely in the book. <laughs> unlike the poem you want, oh. where, where you, where you, you, uh, you t- like you use the word cancer into a verb, we cancer our children. It's a bit of a longer line. Oh, that's a
0: different poem. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: But it struck me, and that's sort of a, what I want to build my first question around. Um, because, well, let's do what the tin that it says on the box, which is sifting through the past. So let's get that out the way. Um, oh. And you, you talk about this canceling, how we cancer our children. And that struck me. And something, all the, something I feel all the texts do in different ways is this engagement with the past. I always think of Siri Hustvet, who says writing fiction is remembering what never happened. Yeah. And I often think there's a bit left out like or remembering what ought to have happened mm-hmm. or what should have or must have, but they didn't get it down. <laughs> so there are different ways in which I think you're all kind of engaging with archive. I mean CA, there's, a, there's also this engagement with like um, renegade archive or the hidden archive or the mm-hmm. unspoken or the secrets or the lies. There is the generational story mm. that I think a lot of your your text speaks to. Mm. Um, Broadway, and I mean that in many ways. I kept when each time I when I was reading your, I was trying to figure something out in reading um, notes on falling, and I because it, it feels like looking through an album, mm. and it's oh it's like a, a book version of what it would be to look through an album. So it, it's like I keep thinking this is another picture. And then we had another picture, another picture. and It's a different kind of archiving. Mm. But I wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask, just open up a quite an open question, but for each of you to speak to your relationship to past and how you how you grappled with it, how you dealt with it, um, and what you think it means for this particular text. Mm. Which particular text? is pointing <laughs> at you. <laughs> huh? Which Which, your collection. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. Mm stuff mm. <laughs> um,
0: I don't think we've stopped I don't personally I don't think I've stopped grappling with the past mm. I don't think I ever really will I think it will change it will morph the grappling will become a different thing um, certainly I don't have the same relationship with the past that I had five years ago or even last year or even last month um, I I have become changed by my grappling with the past Mm. in the sense that I really like myself Mm. a lot, whereas if you had probably met me five years ago, you might have found somebody slightly different. Mm. Um, I'm still angry, yes, in places, but I choose to use my anger very constructively which is something I never did, and if you read the first collection, a lot of people said that was very angry, and yes it is actually, I have to acknowledge that now, before I was like, what do you mean it's angry, because really I didn't realise it was angry, Mm. it was just me, you know. Um, So the past I'm still grappling with, Um, and I think certainly for a country like ours and countries like ours and I think possibly the whole world uh, has their own version of certain things it is important, there are lots of people and recently on Facebook somebody said, well you know isn't it time for us to move on and I said well you know it is possible to do both things and actually looking at wounds is moving on Mm. It's the same thing. Because if you don't look at it, can you really say that you're moving on? Mm. Because somewhere down the line, the shit that you didn't engage with is going to trip you up. Mm. You're going to fall over it. So Mm. for me, it's one and the same thing. Moving on and looking at the stuff is one and the same thing. And it has to happen. Mm. And people have to hear it, you know. And it needs to be
3: spoken, so it's not yeah. an event. No, it's, it's not, not an a, like, event. It's not like, let's do that yes. thing and then let's be done with there that. There are thing.
0: events born out of it. I mean, certainly performances, this telling, yeah. a, reciting a poem. But no, um, it's, it's a constant, it's, it's building yourself, mm. you know, like, a, like Lego. Yeah. You're snapping things into place. Mm. And at some points you undo it and you snap it into a different place. Mm. It just depends on what's happening. So, uh, we, we, I mean, it's, it's kind of like also saying, <laughs> it's something that I also mull in my head a lot um, of late, when people look at me and they say, oh, you're successful. <laughs> and I go, well, I suppose in the generally accepted sense of the word, I am now successful because I'm acting and I'm working consistently for an artist who has no other job but art. You know, so certainly that's only happened in the last three years. Um, but also, success means for somebody my age, um, you've done it now. Mm. Stamped, labeled, old, making way <laughs> for the youth. Mm-hmm. Past is the <coughs> only thing that suits you. Mm. Nothing new can come of this. Mm. Mm. You've reached that age, right? You've done it. Mm. And that Sorry, Because of Bodies Under Siege is something that I wrote. That is kind of like putting a person in a cage. And I'm not actually sure why I started saying this. (laughs) There was a reason. There was a reason, but I can't remember it anymore. I just got very caught up in that. Yeah, so I'm going to stop now. Yeah,
1: thank you. um, Isn't it also that you to some extent keep inventing the past i mean there's the past that is that has its own solid place but then there are also parts of the past that as a writer you invent you have to you also keep reimagining the past the, the shape of the past mm-hmm. keeps shifting it doesn't remain kind of static Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's to do with where you are as a writer, where we get to as a writer. That something I looked at yesterday looks a little bit different, different today, today, because I imagine, perhaps because I'm ima- maybe because I'm different, but but it may also be that I'm imagining it differently. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of shaping it mm-hmm. differently. The perspective is also shifting. Yes. Yeah. So I make so the past is mater- The past is material for writers. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a lump of clay that could end up looking like this. It's the same yeah. lump of clay, but you could, it could look like this. Yeah. And then you could sort of squash it tomorrow and make it look like mm. this. Mm. So.
3: It's not fact.
1: Yeah. I think, <coughs> I, think
0: the, the, I hear exactly what you're saying, but I think I'm having a trouble, trouble with the word invent. Mm. And the reason for that contextually for South mm. Africa mm. to tell black people to use the word "event" when it comes to Black history, mm. it's a very tricky for us mm. because can, can we out, haven't
2: so. we haven't made it up. Yeah. But, but it's not but that it's was in, what I wanted yeah. to say was that uh, I mean it, it. I wasn't taught history mm. in the wholeness of what you know South Africa could have done for obvious reasons. So you know you find yourself having to go and Study history. I mean, I, I read Robert Schall's, um Children of Bondage, I think, mm. when I was about 19 years old, which was, I mean, that that was really pretty seminal for me as a person because Robert Schell told the story of slavery in South Africa. And mm. I had no idea that, yeah, I mean, so if, if you don't know the book, mm-hmm. Robert Schell passed away a few years ago, but it is mm. absolutely mind-blowing if you don't know it um, mm. because there were people from... Uh, let me not re rewrite the book, but so for me, it was actually having to learn history because I didn't know my history, mm-hmm. and so there's this constant process of of um trying to i guess you know it's it's, it's a very human thing to locate yourself mm-hmm. um, because you won't pass down these stories, so you have to get, go and kind of figure it out for yourself mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, I mean I guess you, you do it via the archive as. Robert Charles' book, you know, um, mm. for me, but lots of other books and fictional works as well. But then you, you do it through the archive, you know, what's there, and I guess then you also, in a modest way, you maybe adding to that archive, and, and I don't think you, I mean, you'd have to be really vain to sit there and think, well, I'm going to contribute now, make, mm. this is how I, but, but unwillingly, mm. not unwillingly, unwittingly, you perhaps do also maybe make a contribution and shape it. And reshape
1: yeah. it. I think I think that's what I mean by invention. Mm. I don't mean mm. you um, make up what happened. Mm. You the the inventing part is what you do with what happened. So mm. there's a there's a moment um, between. I'm sorry, two but I
2: love this audience participation. <laughs> Can you keep doing that? Your earming is lovely.
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a moment where two characters in the no, in my novel have a conversation and Talia, the woman whose piece I read at the start, says, so if I'm working in the archive, I, um, it's a question of kind of assembling it and, 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 um, and the person she's talking to has lived through the history that she's wanting to write about. He, he was there and he says, no, no, no. Uh, that's that 's kind of a lazy way of um, working with the archive. You have to do your homework you have to you have to read before you even begin you have to read and don 't join the dots just because it seems easy to join the dots don 't he 's referring specifically to New York in the nine in a very very important period for art and politics in in the United States and he says, it's easy just to say that one and that one, they were all together, they were all thinking the same thing. But that's lazy history, that's lazy history making. That artist, yes, they happened to live in the same moment, but they had different thoughts about mm. the same moment and you have to do your homework. Don't just stick things mm. together because it's easy to do that. Mm. And I think mm. that we in South Africa have had those kinds of histories, the joining of dots that suit a particular narrative, but you need to do a little more homework than that. Even now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but even then, even then if you work as I'm sure you did, Caroline, you work in an archive, you do find yourself inventing. I mean, you invent the wonderful parts of your novel where Mm. you are writing Langston Hughes, but also inventing Mm. a a Langston Hughes that works I
2: mean, and, and, and that's, I guess, um, can we also just talk about, I feel a bit nervous because when I was at UCT, people were very sensitive about archivists and the important books, so if there are any archivists, <laughs> I mean, I, and I said this before, there are people here who said I need to stop repeating myself, but I've had a few book events, but when, when, when I was writing the Langston Hughes parts, I mean, I actually went and sat in Witt's, um it's his African Studies mm-hmm. Library, and I read this incredible book of letters that, that had been composed um, with Langston used writing to numerous African writers, many South African writers. Um, mm-hmm. And not even all his letters were, were in that particular book, which I think mm-hmm. Shane Graham mm-hmm. maybe collated. Um, but just, you know, such fascinating things, which you don't know unless you start digging, you know, mm. if you go and sit mm. in libraries and do the archival work. Um, and I guess now, in retrospect, it, it, it created an... I mean, the narrative was there, but I think maybe it just it, it, it exposed it to more people. I don't know, maybe that's how history also gets mm. shaped more and more, but... Okay, Mm. It's can it's I true. can
0: I just interject there? Because <laughs> mm. this word invention just went <laughs> it's everywhere. <so> <laughs> it's, really it's not what you are saying that I have that I'm um, yeah. I'm saying is incorrect. I agree with what you're saying. Um, the mm. word invention is a problem for me
1: mm.
0: because invention means you're inventing something that didn't exist. Mm. I think maybe for me a word like reimagined
2: would mm. work better. Or mm. retell.
0: softer
3: mm. for me. Oh,
2: Retail? Retail? Creative,
3: Recreate. Retail. yeah. But oh, I yeah. get the the discomfort is is, is 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 the tension because we know people are accused of yeah. it's make believe. Yeah. So I think that's the. It's not that's real because it's not yeah. written in a book. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I understand what the. So that's I mean, well, the, the best things are always uncomfortable. So I, feel, yeah. I think that's that's great. I mean, the, if I could move us into something else, I mean, again, something you all do is in, in, in obvious ways. Um, work with place, like the, the role of place in, in, your, in what mm. you're telling. So, I mean, uh, most of your novel, Bronwyn is set in New York. Mm. Not only, some of it is set, I mean, I don't do the fractions, mm. but a, a portion is set, South African in New York, let's say, mm. is, is our protagonist. For, for most of it, we're following her. Um, mm. for, for portions of it, she's back in South Africa, in different <laughs> parts of South Africa. Mm. You're also moving through time mm. in your novel. Mm. Um, Carol, Caroline, as well. You know your Beijing is a setting. Shanghai. Shanghai, bigger pardon, is, is is the setting, um, mm-hmm. but also Cape Town. And there's there's <coughs> creativity there with the naming of, of where in Cape Town we we're, 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 we're being placed. Um, time, you also traverse time. I mean, but I would say Khadija, you probably traverse the most time. Hundreds of years in, in, in different ways in, mm. in, your, in your text, at least I was present to the expanse of history that you're mm. kind of gathering with your words. Um, so, I mean, I guess <clears throat> I'm in, I mean, there's a sort of a, a technical question from, from being practitioners, <clears throat> excuse me, interested in how you navigate that kind of work and how, 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 how do you tend to that intention to write over this expanse of place or time and to do it um, to the best of your ability? You know, how much did you sit with that and wonder? Mm-hmm. And also that's the more technical side, but also how, I don't know, did you, did you know that that's what you'd be doing from very early on? In some ways I think you probably, that would be obvious, and yours seems quite <coughs> deliberate as well, but how, and what do you think that gives or offers the work? that you can, because there's something, it felt free, there's, uh, particularly from the fiction, like it felt like, wow, okay, reading novels by South Africans that are not preoccupied with being in South Africa, and that seemed to provide something that isn't there otherwise, not that the other things mm-hmm. are bad, but that this oh. has provided a, a, another door, mm-hmm. and I, I found it um, compelling and just interesting, mm-hmm. and also the permission to To tell this long, long history. Mm. Um, So yeah, a kind of long, rambling question. But whoever wants to jump in, please
1: do. Yeah, it's a big question. (laughs) Um, When I, I suppose, what when you're writing a novel that's set in different places and in different time periods, you, um, you, you kind of shuttle between places, and you kind of drag one place into the other place um, so when i was when i knew that i wanted to write part of this novel set in new york I, I i had i had really bad dreams for a long time because i think it's a very stupid thing to do for anyone writing particularly um, a South African, to write about New York which has been made into films and books mm. and theatre and musicals. It's, it's very stupid actually. Just <laughs> So I thought that the only way I could write that iconic place, as Talia says, a place that's full of iconography, um, was to, to write it in fragments to write it only as each character experienced it so to to not become to not lo- to not be uh, seduced by the big moments and the big architecture of new york but to write it in the fragments as experienced by the character and the same is true when i wrote the sections that are set in the eastern cape and in johannesburg i thought the only way to write johannesburg is is through this narrow experience of one character. That's the only way it will mm. feel like a real place to me. I don't want to make big statements about Johannesburg. I don't want to make big statements about the Eastern Cape. I want to follow, in the case of, you know, in writing about the Eastern Cape, I want, literally want to follow the road between um, now Makanda and, and Port Elizabeth and Nelson Mandela Bay. The, that road is the sole. Um, that's the kind of entrance point into place, um, and I have to locate it in the individual's experience of that space, so that's my, that would, that was my way of approaching writing about mm. places that have strong iconography, strong images attached to them.
3: Through the specific, Yeah, just, and not trying to compete with what exists already. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah. just to write fragments.
3: Mm.
2: I, I mean, I. Um, that, that's so interesting. I. Um, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: what? you lived in Shanghai, right? Yeah. So was it was it like um, when well, I've lived there and I? Yeah, you know, I mean, how, I when, guess. When you were imagining this, was it like, okay, good. Let me write. Let me write about. I, I
2: didn't have a very. Uh, okay, I'm repeating myself. Excuse me. Very judgmental people in the audience, but. <laughs> I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have a plan at the start really but I I was living in Shanghai and it was a way for me to understand the city from the from from the inside out because you're quite isolated when when it's a language that you you can't engage with um and it's a culture which is very hard to engage with because also you're not accessing it from from language mm. um so yeah. I did it through the literature um so so that was kind of of why and then um but but I guess what I wanted to say was that technically, I'm not sure that novels work the way they – I mean, they don't work the way they used used, and so it felt to me like you couldn't just write this one narrative, um, and that to compete with everything else – and I wasn't approaching it consciously that I want to compete, because I'm not taking away TV, uh, any any um, TV watchers. I'm not necessarily drawing them or podcast listeners. but. I feel like the nature of the novel has changed because we do have shorter um, attention spans and so it felt to me like the novel had to be more fragmented mm-hmm. um, and so that, that did influence me, you know, that I didn't want to write this long kind of sweeping historical work. Um, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So it was conscious for you to, for that fragmenting mm-hmm. to have that form?
2: I think it was conscious technically, but it's also... I mean, I'm also subject to what's happening in the world. I mean, they shall remain nameless, but I was sitting with a group of writers on on Friday evening, and we spoke about TV shows that we are watching, you know? (laughs) And I'm sure 100 years ago, we would have spoken about books and and literature, and so things have changed, and I'm part of that. I read, you know, but I also... am also sitting on my phone and texting and doing 50 million things simultaneously. Mm. So I do feel like the, the way we write necessarily mm. changes and the way we think changes. So. Mm. Um, and yes, thank you for me. Please do. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
3: Khadija, you, you, so heritage and legacy is something that is important to you. And <sighs> um, I think it's evident at least from this collection. Mm. What, like what why? Why does that matter? Maybe the answer feels a bit obvious, but I, mm. I think it's good to say. Um,
0: I just wanted to also connect with that stuff. Mm. Um, I guess in that respect, poetry is probably a lot more efficient mm. in 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 that way, kind of like uh, a podcast, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, bite size, sort of. And, moments and, and in you can, time. you can respond yeah. quicker than Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's easy to jump timelines for me, because I like to occupy what I like to call the ghost space, mm-hmm. because I find freedom there. If I occupy a space inside a history book, I feel very confined by it, but I acknowledge that I have to be there mm-hmm. too or that i have to go there yeah. from time to time so that i can access the ghost space and write about it in a way that i'm not writing a whole lot of shit you know what i'm saying that it's not it's a combination of different things different uh, and so in in terms of time the way that i travel through time mm. is kind of like a spirit mm. into the past into the present and the things that i write about you can't interrogate without finding out where exactly they began. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for our communities that is a very important thing to access, to Mm -hmm. access where this comes from. And I was thinking about when, because I saw, because I only went this morning to check what we're talking about, sorry, (laughs) and then I saw identity and I went, oh, we're doing it identity again (laughs) (laughs) and I went okay well I have to speak about my community and I will continue to do so Um, and so working with this particular identity or this particular the the shape that has been offered us of this identity and this community that I find myself in I have had to I have had to and I deliberately jump to the access points, like where does this come from? Because my community, um, in terms of some of the things that they say, let me use an example, because otherwise I'm going to get very confused with the language. Um, When, and I use the word colored for the sake of explanation, because the term for me is a bit of an insult. Actually, um, when a colored person says something like, kasi swati, which you hear quite a lot, by the way, or you'll sit in conversation and people will say, The Africans, men," And I'm going, Auntie, we're all African, huh? we were all born here. But what people offer in response to that is, "Oh, they're
2: so racist.
0: They don't offer, where does this come from? Where does this come from? Who made these people believe this? Why have they swallowed this wholesale? Why are they still here in this space? Because it doesn't come from nowhere. And if you're thinking that apartheid only affected people in one way, think again, this is part of how apartheid affected people, people's identity, and how people interact with white-colored black, this is part of it. Um, In the book, in the novel, speaking about people who buggered off to Australia, these middle-class coloreds who buggered off to Australia. And Canada, I mean these two these two places, let me tell you something. As a child growing up were the places that people left to. Mm. It was I think it was more accessible, right? Mm. Australia also being another colony, ex-colony. Um, and disturbie means of a trichakumet, because that was the thing that we used to say, Oh, it's disturbing. cake disturby means because their English was just so well rounded, you know. Um so yes, yeah. so that yeah. is why in my work, if you if you call it heritage uh, or going back to heritage, and I do say that, I say that in my biography. But these are the accepted terms. Yeah. For I, I use that word
3: because you use no, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah.
0: these are the accepted terms, sure. and I've recognized that we have to use these terms because this is what people immediately connect with, and it's academic and blah blah blah. Mm. I don't necessarily want to describe it like that, but for the sake of efficiency, mm. those are the terms we use. Mm. Um, So, I actually have to find out where it comes from. And I have to offer understanding Mm -hmm. for this, because there are very few people who do. For this particular community, very few people offer compassion or understanding about these things, because it's like, you know, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question.
3: It does, thank you. Where does it come from? I'll definitely leave with that. Um, Wow, look at the time. I I have a last quite short question for each of you and then I think we could take a few. Um, It's a simple question. What do you hope for your book?
1: That it will be read. (laughs) That it will be read. (laughs) That it will be read.
3: Amen. Anybody else?
0: That I can perform all the poems in it.
2: Mm.
3: Mm.
0: And hopefully that you'll buy it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that it that it um, that it shifts something in the reader, whatever that may be. I'm not, you know, I I won't prescribe what, but that it shifts yeah.
3: something that, a, that mm. it touches. Maybe not touches. I don't know. Maybe it... Okay. Whatever. Shoves. Something. Well, something. S- you, s- you feel s- something. S- that
2: you feel Maybe, something, yeah, I think. They Maybe that's more accurate.
1: Yeah. Maybe mm. that you dis- that you learn something. And, and not learn in the sort of didactic mm. sense, but that you, you uncover something that you didn't... Mm. I mean, that's what I do when I'm reading. I'm trying to... I'm hoping that mm. something will appear to me through the reading that I didn't mm. quite think of mm. in that way before. Mm. And if I could do that, if I could make, or if that would be the gift, mm. if someone discovered something, even if it's really small, mm-hmm. but they discover something. Mm. Yeah. They I, I mean, moved. I think, yeah, yeah. But, but
2: yeah. When, 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 I'm, when a book resonates with me, I mean, it, it can be intellectual or it can be yeah. emotional yeah. or yes. it can be... I yes. mean, I might even hate a character, and I might even hate the book, but yeah. you know, I'll yeah. remember it because I hated it. Yeah. You know, five yeah. years later. So yeah. I guess I kind of love that. <laughs> hate me, but remember me. Don't forgive <laughs> me. Maybe, maybe that's what we're all trying to do: is just stay relevant and, <laughs> and um... like disgrace. Huh? I hated it, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it. But you're still it. talking about
0: it. <laughs> I understood still every reasoning hmm. yeah. of that story, mm. but yeah. it was very hard to read. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sure. that's a whole other panel. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> we're not having that now. Any questions? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Hi everyone. Uh, this is for the whole panel. I just wanted to know: um, Do you
0: actively? try to separate your work from, you know, the fog of memory and nostalgia and your own subjectivity when you're doing your work? Um, And how do you also, um, if you do actively try to do that, um,
3: deal with the popular narrative about uh, South Africa's history and history of oppression? Sure. (laughs)
2: Sure. (laughs) That's a hard question. You go. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that, (laughs) let me think.
1: Um, nostalgia is a very dangerous thing for a writer we're all tempted by it but I I, I certainly and nostalgia I think of as very different from memory um, I don't I think that we're all so deeply embedded in our memories that we can't really separate ourselves from them mm. um, the only really conscious um, in in relation to that sort of Action of the mind. I suppose I consciously don't. Um, I don't always want to write my own story. So that's that sort of enters, and it often is what makes difficult. It makes it difficult to write certain characters because as soon as I feel them approaching too close to me, I, I kind of, I, I want to backpedal, mm-hmm. and um, so. Yeah, so it's not a... c I I don't I think memory is where the stuff is for writers. Mm. Um it's 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 the food that you <laughs> that you feed off as a writer. And sometimes they're not even your own memories, mm. they're the memories of other people. Mm. We are greedy about mm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had a second part of your question which I'm forgetting, yeah. Popular culture. Oh popular the, yeah. yeah, the
0: popular narrative of okay. the in South Africa as we're beginning with yeah. it now. I mean we in District six, yeah. and that's a different experience here. But there's yeah. a lot of other history attached to this yeah. place, and I think yeah. when we use it for in a different way, we almost mm. romanticize that, that part yeah. of it. Um, so I
3: just yeah. wanted to give.
1: Mm. I'm I'm sure you'll have very different answers to what I will have, and maybe the only way for me to answer that is is to answer it in the way that I I answer that question for my my students when I teach writing, which is to to steer yourself I mean the big histories are really important but the big histories are full of gaps and the gaps are occupied by people mm. so what I tell my students to do when they're writing is to look for the the small stories because those are often very big emotionally big and important the big stories are very tempting but they they sort of Elide—they kind of cover over a multitude of other stories. So, and because we have such a big history in South Africa, I—we I, have—it's hard to avoid that history. But you don't want to just simply recreate the big, the big, the meta narratives. You want the small stories. You want the the tasty little stories that are very important. Yeah. Mm. You know you think? Somebody
3: else want to. In with that? Um,
0: separation from the popular narrative. Look, I'm not an academic, <laughs> but the, the way that I separate, which is probably similar from the popular narrative, is to get in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, what is the underlying thing? What is the thing? that all people want, that all communities Mm. want. You want to be seen, you want to be recognized. That's what citizenship is. It's not just I'm a citizen of this country because, well, I was born here and it says so. Mm. It is, do you see me? Do you see us? Do Mm. you recognize that we are part of this world, that we belong here? Mm. Because it's one thing for in the institution to say we belong here, but if our fellow South Africans don't say that Mm -hmm. and we keep hearing this or feeling this or being told this in many and different types of language, body language, looks, whispered things behind hands, scoffing when you call yourself black, that kind of thing, that is denying and withholding citizenship. It is exactly the same thing. And it is extremely painful. Um, So that's where I like to get to. The popular narrative is the popular narrative, and it will always exist, Mm. as you say. Mm. But that's the place I want to go to. I don't want to deal with what's here, because that's not going to fix this shit, you know.
2: Can I say one quick small Please. thing just to add? Yeah. It was such a complicated question, but mm. to be honest, I think what I've learned for myself, and it, it might not apply to anyone else, but is that even the nostalgic thing, even the nostalgia and the, and the sentimental stuff, mm. you can do it if you do it well and if you're conscious that you're doing it. So if you approach it, mm. and this is a technical, but I think your question was technical as well. So it's, Technically, as a writer, if you are conscious that what you're writing is very sentimental and you frame it in that, you can still do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you don't, have to, you don't have to ignore the fact that this is District 6 as an example if you were writing about it. You can do all of that. You just have to be very careful and you have to have a little bit of writing chops, I think, too, mm-hmm. which I hope I've attained after the second book. I don't know. It's <laughs> a process. You keep learning. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
3: One more question, maybe? by force? Not I'm, by
2: fire,
0: by force? I have a comment. Mm. As you mm. said. Please. I think it's as extraordinary to write novels, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to. <laughs> yeah. um, I just listen and I think about the amount of work mm. involved in writing stories and isolating detail in the way that novels do. Mm. I've read many and I just go, oh God, imagine I did this. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think well done, and also that I just wanted to comment because when you were reading earlier on mm. about the dancing, mm. I think it was the first thing you read with a mm. dancer. Oh, you could see it. I that's actually good. felt it in my body, mm. but I love working with dancers, so mm. it was very beautiful. I went, ooh, mm. I can feel that Yeah, mm. Oh my. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so that's the
1: comment. Well, my comment... It's in response, <laughs> is that <laughs> is that I read poetry in order to understand how to write? Ah, oh, that's yeah. interesting. I, <laughs> can't, I have to read poetry to understand the 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 the, mm. the stuff of language, the mm. the stuff of separate individual words. Mm. Um, mm. Okay. I'm a very bad poet. But we have somebody <laughs> waving
0: uh, there.
1: Um, I just wanted to say, Hideja, um, that when I hear you read,
0: or actually not read, perform your work, um, there's a way
1: in which you, you embody what you're saying um, that is so powerful, it's almost like you kind of possessed. I mean, and I mean it in a good way, um, that you are like a vehicle. I don't know how to say it, but you know, I mean, every time I hear you read, I just
0: like,
1: you know, mm-hmm. I, my body responds with like goosebumps and sort of shivers. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, I mean, I think for me what's interesting, there have been other talks about bodies and so on. I mean, I feel like there's a way with your writing that mm. you embody it when you perform it. So,
3: yeah. Thank you. And I, I think poetry is very hard to do. Mm. So it's interesting you you led with that because I I would, like, I I write novels as well and I think Mm. I look at poets and read poetry with such sense of awe Mm. because of the economy required, the Mm. skill. Like, it feels like it's math. I always think poetry (laughs) and math. I don't know. (laughs) But it it is this, you know, so... Uh, mutual Yeah. Respect. Mm. We've come to time, unless there... anybody. We've come to time. Um, thank you very much.
2: Thank you to you. It thank is you Thank time. you to you for my managing pleasure.
3: all of my that pleasure. stuff outside well, of the well, I'm losing my notes. Yeah, well I, get, I lost yes. my notes, guys. Well done, well done. I lost <laughs> done. my notes.
0: <laughs> this event was made possible by the support of the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture, the City of Cape Town and the Heinrich Bull Foundation. See you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the series.